Welcome to Better Cast Saul, the officially unofficial podcast for Better Call Saul on AMC. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're doing our season three wrap up. Uh, we have covered all ten episodes, and I want to find out what you thought of this season, Aaron. Um, I mean, it ha- I haven't altered my opinion much. Now, what I've done since last time is I've, I've obviously compiled feedback. Um, I've read a little bit more on Reddit. Um, I listened to the entire Insider podcast, and I watched the finale episode again. Huh, and okay. nothing, nothing has really changed my mind that this is, I think, the weakest of the seasons of Better Call Saul. And I, I don't even know if it's a qualitative thing, which I found interesting that, that Vince Gilligan said multiple times on the Insider Podcast, this is the best. I think this is not even as a creator. I think as a fan, this is the best season of Better Call Saul, which I thought <laughs> was interesting. Because I don't agree. But I, I don't know that it's a qualitative difference. Like if this had been the first season... I might, and the second season had been, you know what I'm saying? Like, if they altered, because a lot of the seasons have similar structural issues and slight flaws mm-hmm. that I think this year kind of added up to a little bit more tedium than usual. Um, now, that said, once it got its footing, you know, in about the fifth episode, um, it was, you know, essentially, I guess the climax felt like the, the bar hearing. Okay. Uh, or not the climax, the beginning of when the season kind of engaged and got good. Uh, and it sure. lasted through to the end and was pretty interesting. So I don't know. What did you, that? That's that's my take. What did you think of this season? Yeah, no, I largely agree with that. I think um, season three, it's, it's interesting. I looked at uh, Rotten Tomatoes, and this show right now has a 97%, which is maybe a little higher than I expected. And I was looking around at reviews and stuff, and they were all mm-hmm. like, oh, Better Call Saul, better than Breaking Bad, and like, I don't think it's near that good. No, um, I, for me personally, I mean, and, and, I, I, I'm just not enjoying it quite as much. I also don't. I mean, three seasons in, I don't. I think I, I, I thought before the, the the series started that it's kind of unfair to compare it to Breaking Bad because I never thought it had that ceiling. Mm-hmm. Like, it never had that like gothic scope, but. Now, midway through the series, I'm very confident saying that its ceiling is not going to be as high as Breaking Bad. That's not to say it can't be good. Yeah, it just I don't think it can be as good as Break as Breaking Bad for me. And I, there's a lot. Oh, I got a lot of feedback where people are getting tired of us comparing the two. But. <laughs> well, everyone on the internet is. So yeah, it's get hard. used it's, to it. Like every fan is. Yeah, and and maybe we'd have a better time if we didn't. But we're maybe. human beings and. Yeah, so, I mean, season three has, like, when you think back through it, it had a lot of stuff going for it. I mean, uh-huh. the introduction of Gus was a huge thing. Um, last At the end of last season, we were all like, oh, is this Gus coming back? And they essentially said, yep, Gus is coming back. Mm-hmm. Brings back in the title and everything. Um, and, and I think that has paid off pretty well. I've enjoyed the Gus stuff quite a bit. Uh, it didn't feel gratuitous. It felt organic yeah. and like, yes, this is where he would come in at about this uh, state in the series. Yeah, and the way they've developed Mike and Gus's relationship, I think, was maybe a little bit rushed, or felt like maybe, oh, yeah. maybe it wasn't perfect, but it was good certainly, um, and good enough for me to really enjoy it. And then I think Kim's arc has been really good this season, mm-hmm. um, where we've seen her progressively get more and more frayed uh, over the the course of the season. Um, with maybe taking on work she shouldn't. Yeah. Um, you know, she didn't move much from where she was at the beginning, I guess, because she was kind of run a little ragged at the very beginning of the season. I mean, she from the just, series, it, it seems like she's always been on the yeah. partner track, busting her ass, you know, and mm-hmm. I, you know, it's, it's it's sad to not see it pay off for her. But I think the highlight has certainly been Jimmy and Chuck, right? Yeah. I mean, that's been where all the drama is, really. 
Um, Nacho has had some good stuff in there, but really mm. it's Jimmy and Chuck, and that has come to its final battle. Yeah. You know? <laughs> there will be no more after this. And I think... I, I thought maybe this was the best season of Jimmy and Chuck battle, hmm. honestly. Like, season two got really good at the end, but this was sort of the continuation of that and then even another step forward. Yeah, it makes me think just with the two false starts down Saldhood, Saldum, that I wonder if they couldn't have compressed the Jimmy stuff into two seasons. Now, mm-hmm. um, to your point, we learned new things. Like, it took us to the end of the first season, I believe, to realize that Chuck was against Jimmy. He wasn't mm-hmm. Jimmy's ally. Or maybe we learned that early in season two. I think so, yeah. And then then that brought the war fairy into the open. And season two is largely about, you know, their their battle where they mm-hmm. it was, uh, they, they were fighting by proxy. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, battling over Kim's career and whatnot. And then... This, the battle was joined, and they just fought like a World War Three kind of thing between those. The Cold War is over. It's a, sh- it's a hot shooting war, and uh, mm-hmm. it got too hot for Chuck. <laughs> yeah, very much. Too hot. He couldn't stand the heat, and uh, he burned himself alive. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> uh, hashtag fuck Chuck, don't forget. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how are you going to keep that going in season four? Uh, I, no, I, Chuck. I, no, I think that the hashtag's been burnt. Speaking of season four, mm-hmm. season four was greenlit. Yeah. Oh right, um, yeah. That that's the news that happened between the the finale and now. Did we get um, now? Nah, I was listening. Did you, so did you hear the? Did you watch, listen to the Insider Podcast? A chunk of it, yeah. Okay, not all of it because uh, he was saying at the end how it hadn't been renewed yet, but it's a formality at this stage. Um, have you seen any articles that said whether? Like this is the it. This is like renewed, and then and then I haven't seen mention of that. No, hmm. um, it just they literally just said, "Oh, it's season four. Because I just remember, it's remember the last season of Breaking Bad, or between four and five, they they had like the definitive, like, okay, you're going to get one more season of mm-hmm. eight episodes each. Well, of sixteen episodes is going to be split into two parts, and it was like all this horse. I feel like that that probably is what we will see um, if there is a final season on this, like. Uh, which implies that maybe there's going to be a fifth. Like, like, is that does that mean there's a sure thing there's going to be a fifth season? I mean, it seems like it. I I don't know. I'm I don't know. I honestly don't know how the ratings were in season three. I know they have, were kind of. That's off. what I'm looking at right now. Okay. So <laughs> this show debuted. If if we look at the height, the 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 it had almost seven million people watching on the first episode. Mm-hmm. Which uh, it has like an inverse trajectory of most shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it fell to two point five by the end of the first season. Mm-hmm. Season two retained the two point five, and then I think I want to say it held on to that. Um, it dropped to two point two by the end, two point three. This season began at a one point eight, mm-hmm. uh, which is a significant drop off from the previous season, and uh, ends up with the finale being one point eight. So okay. Um, stable, and you compare this to like other shows AMC stuck by, like uh, your favorite Halt and Catch Fire. Sure, uh, you know it's yeah. a ratings juggernaut compared to that, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Um, and I think also the relationship with Vince Gilligan is one that um, you know they 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 fuck around with him and Peter too much. They're going to lose him to HBO. In mm-hmm. fact, isn't I think isn't that Vince Gilligan's next personal project, some kind of Jonestown? I think so. Dramatization he's doing for HBO. Huh. I don't know who it's for. I thought it was HBO. It might be. Um, but that's the thing. Like, you, you, you know, I feel like all these networks, they're like, uh, they're, they're just desperate to keep them <laughs> on on the uh, 
on, on their property doing doing work for them. They yeah. don't want to lose anyone to to another network. So especially HBO. Yeah, I, I do think you know if they can hold on to their ratings to what they've got, then season five is pretty much guaranteed. Right. Um, I don't think they're going to wrap this story up in one more season. I think they still have too much to do with Mike. I think you're um, right. If they're, it would be interesting to see what would they do if they were forced to. Yeah. Um, because and if it was an extended season, maybe. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing is, I okay, so I'll grant you that, but I'm also thinking. I really hope season five is the last. Oh, I can't see them going past five. They could pivot and like this thing could reinvent itself as like the Uh kind of better call Saul show we thought we were going to get and run for like three. But I, I don't know. Now I know one emailer asserted last week that um, Bob Odenkirk seemed very checked out in the insider podcast This is the only one he did this season. Hmm. I did not. And so I, so, so, I, I and I'm like okay, I'll only listen to like 20 minutes of it. So I'm going to listen to the whole thing, commit to listen to the whole thing. I did, and I don't see it. That I think that's just how Bob Odenkirk is. Well, I've I, seen him in other interviews, mm-hmm. and I don't know if he doesn't like to do press or talk about his methods or whatever. But he gets out there, and he he has a very detached kind of vibe to him. Yeah, and I feel like that he is much more interested in the the behind the camera stuff and like production and directing yeah. and writing. And to the extent that he comes alive on the Insider podcast is when they start talking about that particular part of the process. Yeah. Um, the acting stuff, uh, I don't think he sees as a big challenge or something that he's going to do a lot of going forward. But I don't feel like he felt checked out or, like, bored. It's just mm-hmm. I think he's he's probably – he sounds very tired, uh, and I think he's a lower-energy guy. Like, yeah. Bob Odenkirk sitting at home is, is a much different guy than the Bob Odenkirk that you see on stage in front of the camera. So, mm-hmm. um I yeah, I was relieved to kind of kind of not agree with that that emailer, I guess, because I was that that's the thing. Like, boy, if he gets bored, um, then what do you do? Because yeah. you've got you know, like a lot of this stuff absolutely depends on him as an engine to make it run. So yeah, I imagine he's locked into a contract. Yeah, but that doesn't mean <laughs> when you start the show, Better Call Saul. Right, that means he he will show up and be professional. It doesn't mean that he's going to yeah. be engaged the way that it seems like he is. So um, it's the one thing you want to do. Yeah, at the beginning when you know you're going to make this show, you lock down the main character for five years. Yeah, yeah. Also, I found from the Insider Podcast, apparently had to really piss off Vince Gilligan. The only time I heard him like use disapproving tones about anything other than a safety issue is apparently. Uh, a writer or two has given feedback directly to an actor and bypassed a director. Mm. He doesn't like that. Yeah, no. he was very. Uh, he was. He, he spent a good a deal of time being very frown. And I, I get it. That does seem like a, a gross breach of uh, etiquette. But it's not as funny. It's like I can just see, like, uh, you know, Vince Gilligan. Are you fucking talking to my goddamn actor on my goddamn say? Get the fuck out of here, keyboard monkey. You know. Uh, <laughs> That's the only thing that breaks this southern gentleman charm. Yep. Uh, what else we want to talk about? Because that was the kind of um, that's kind of I guess the big picture stuff that I have organically come up with myself. We had a, mm. a surprising amount of feedback. Yeah, I we've given our thoughts on season three, and we've talked about the news. So mm-hmm. let's do, do you want? I mean, do you have any? I kept when I kept on trying to think about what I think is going to happen. I kept drawing a blank because. First of all, I would have sworn that every season leading up to this would have been a hard severe into Jimmy ter- or into Saul mm-hmm. territory. Like every single time they left it, it's like, okay, 
now, like with the death of, death of his brother, it seems more so. But the fact that this is still open ended, and there is some feedback addressing this, but I just don't see this thing being better. Call Saul, you know what I mean? Like like the show that we thought yeah. it was going to be, where it's going to mm-hmm. be a loosely coupled comedic, you know, black comedy about him just mis misadventures in New Mexico. I don't think they can tell that story anymore. Um, clearly, there's people that want it, but I just I just I. I, I, I see myself thinking that this show has become more than that, and if they just did that for a whole season, it would be uh, it would wear out pretty th- pretty fast. Yeah, I don't think they're going to go there. They've got to address his brother's suicide yeah. um, and how that affects Saul, or right. how that affects Jimmy, rather. Um, and I think that's probably the most important thing they need to do next season, along uh-huh. with maybe accelerate Mike's turn toward... You know Gus's henchman, Gus's security guard, essentially. Yeah, although that that hat like I, it's hard for me to see how that becomes anything more than a B plot that's completely divorced from the A plot. Because sure, yeah. Now there will be, I, I guess, there is room for it to be entertaining to see Mike kind of pulling off these capers under Saul's nose, under mm-hmm. Jimmy's nose, because Jimmy's aware of Mike, of course, and kind of a little bit of a skill set, but he has no idea he's working for the biggest criminal and. You know, yeah, and it's just all depends on like how, like, what kind of a time jump we got coming towards. Are we going to get into the Breaking Bad era? Are we going to go? Because I also think the other rich vein is post uh, Breaking Bad, mm-hmm. uh, Jimmy. You know, getting to the the Gene. Gene. Yeah. I almost said Gil, but yeah, get, getting into the Gene, the Gil McGill, <laughs> uh, getting to that so the, that era. Um, that's another thing that's like interesting, although. I that appeals to me, but I would hate to be the one writing a compelling plot about Gene mm-hmm. because you have to write you have to write a story at the most interesting point in Gene's life, which is probably where the heat's on and he's got to run. And G, you know, Jimmy has never been you know he's he's not a fighter; he's a runner. He's a con man. I I mm-hmm. don't know like if if a cartel came after him or Walt sends an assassin after him or whatever. Like I don't I don't know how that actually works it's and 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 also what does a redemptive arc look like for gene yeah if they want to go that direction they could like saving a kid Um, from the mall cops i don't 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 think is 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 where they're going to go yeah whatever it is it can't sustain a whole season by itself yeah certainly um i wouldn't think so anyway but you know leave it up to these writers to figure out a way to tell a story that i didn't even see coming yeah and i i um in my five years of doing this, I just feels like it's a it's a fool's errand to try to predict what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, within a season, next episode, sure, but next season, especially with these guys, where they don't have they don't have a plan. Mm-hmm. They know where Gene is now. They know where where Saul is during the breaking, but they have no idea what's going to happen over the next four years of of Showtime, essentially. Mm-hmm. And they that's kind of how they operate. They. Leave it all on the field. Don't leave any ideas in the writer's room. Have no idea where they're going to go from here. And then bring everybody back and start brainstorming. Yeah. For better or worse. Mostly better. Yeah. Hey, if you made it this far in a podcast, it's safe to say that you are a fan of our coverage. Um, and this is our last attempt. Like, uh, I guess there's two ways to look at, look at this. Uh, number one is, woohoo, I made it through another season without joining the club. See you next year, <laughs> suckers. <laughs> Uh, another way to look at it is, hey, I really enjoy what these guys do. Maybe I should take a look into how I can support them to make sure that they continue to do this in the future if you see value to it. And easiest way to do that is to go to club.baldmove.com. 
Uh, you can sign up for a membership that lasts a varying amount of time for a varying amount of money, and you get a varying – well, no, you get a constant supply of uh, bonus features added to that. For example, uh, live podcast streams. Uh, you can watch us record the podcast it's the, before we edit it or do anything. It's the quickest way to get the content. Plus, like today, you could have seen me uh, duck out for a pee break, emergency pee break. That's right. That's worth the price of membership alone. Mm-hmm. We also have a bunch of bonus audio content where we do stuff that's just like, you know, personally amusing. We have a general topic podcasts that have nothing to do with television or, um, you know, tangentially involved in television. If you want more Jim and Aaron, there's a bunch of ways to do that. Plus, you know, it, it also supports the, the, the thing we're trying to do here. Um, you know, I'm not going to lie to you because, like, uh, Better Call Saul is probably the anchor. Like, if, if all the three shows we did this season is probably the one that we would have always done. Um, I think so. I, I probably would have said Leftovers. Well, but. but we would we have even gotten to the Leftovers because Better Call Saul came out at the same time. Like, it would have been oh, – we would have chosen oh, three one or the other. Yeah. yeah, for sure. That's what I'm better saying. Like, Saul. oh, this weird thing about the cult or <laughs> – like, you know, Better Call Saul is the, the – it's the better – it's the Breaking Bad DNA and all that stuff. So we probably had done it for mm-hmm. free anyway. But uh, your continued support allows us to do all the different television shows. And the fact that we're a year-round operation, we're full-time, uh, we're fully dedicated to generate content that people see as useful and entertaining. And if you'd like to keep that joyride going, uh, please help us out at club.baldmove.com. Thanks in advance for your support. Uh, shall we get the feedback? Let's do it. Okay, Vicky M. I was so pleased with how Chuck's suicide played out, not because I'm glad he did it, presumably. Um well, wait a second. That's a bit of a other show spoiler. I'll just skip that. Uh, but I'm just glad that they showed how mental illness is such a deciding factor in suicide. I myself have attempted suicide twice, once as a teenager and once more recently. I've dealt with severe depression and anxiety since a very young age, and I've been more recently diagnosed with some complicated mental illnesses. Killing myself has always been something to back my mind, but when it comes down to it, the reasoning always circles back to my mental illness. If I wasn't mentally ill in some capacity, I doubt the shitty things that happen in real life would drive me to that point. My personal rant aside, this, that is what frustrates me so much about a lot of portrayals of suicide I see in television and media in general, especially recently. I watched 13 Reasons Why, which is literally a list of reasons why a teenage girl kills herself, and never once in the entirety of the show about suicide do they even bring up mental illness, let alone show any hints of it. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, that there's certainly people that had taken their own life based solely on things that happened to them, but it's much more frequent that an event happens that justifies a person's thoughts of killing themselves already exist in their head. So Chuck, a character whose entire storyline is focused around him struggling to cope with debilitating mental illness, never shying away from showing how it affects him and the people around him, uh, him being brought to committing suicide feels right to me. Even though the state of his relationship with Jimmy, the loss of his job and life's work and everything else is what pushes him past that point, it all stems back to his mental state and the long-suffering life he has led due to his illness. makes me happy that this show not only addresses the illness in that way, that isn't demonizing, patronizing, or a plot contrivance, but also manages to portray suicide in a way that doesn't feel exploitative or without any true merit to it. Um... I definitely don't think it's patronizing or plot contrivance. It might be a mildly a bit demonizing since the all the hashtag fuck Chuck going on. But hmm. I agree with the rest of it. Um, and they also say, I saw people on Reddit talking about how they put the suicide hotline number at the end of the episode. I didn't see it myself, but that does make me feel glad. It's the responsible thing to do. And even 13 Reasons Why, a show entirely about suicide, didn't bother to take that measure. Uh, I thought it was interesting. Um, when I read her email, I went to Google and I searched for suicide. And then 
best way to commit suicide, and Google's top result is always the National Suicide Hotline. And I guess it's regional. Uh, okay. Uh, and they also have a lot. They I didn't try it because I thought that'd be a waste of their resources. But there's a live chat option, huh. presumably okay. staffed by either the National Su- Suicide Hotline or maybe Google themselves. So mm-hmm. I thought that was. Um, that was pretty that's pretty sweet so if a person is trying to find out the best way to kill themselves they have to wade through all the resources to help them in that state and yeah um, that's a good idea anything you want to comment on that because i do feel like the one thing the show has always consistently shown is that i don't think chuck is doing this just because he's an asshole um he's got a lot of complex reasons he's got a lot of you know the, the the fact that they showed that he's aware that this isn't real but that that awareness only does so much when you're in the grips of it um sure. that's always how i visualize how mental illness would work like mm-hmm. you know we all we've talked about this a lot like if your brain is what's tricking you into something then how are you going to think your way out of it right you know it's like being in a maze where the exits are always shifting it's 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 very easy to say, well, just fucking stop doing that. But if your brain is misfiring and telling you you're suffering from a debilitating condition due to electromagnetic radiation, what the hell? Yeah. Um, anything else you want to add? Nope. All right, Brandon B. I was a little taken back by the way you guys viewed this last episode's portrayal of Jimmy and Kim's relationship. I only viewed Jimmy's hesitation for physical touch as being unsure of how not to hurt her. Normally, when going through tragic accidents, it brings you closer to your loved ones, not further apart. It wouldn't feel natural after they'd fallen apart to instantly have them all lovey-dovey and all over each other. I saw this as them being closer or bringing them closer together to make the inevitable collapse of the relationship that much more biting and gut-wrenching down the road. Just some uh, food for thought on another point of view. Um, Hmm. I I just profoundly disagree. Uh, I think that when you say he was trying not to hurt her, I think you can view that just as the physical and also the emotional harm that he's inflicted on her too and that he's aware of that and that he's that's that that there's undercurrent of i told you so and yeah i know i'm an asshole that's unspoken throughout this whole thing but like i feel like they're good enough performers that i got that anyway it's not on the script it's on their performance yeah i mm, okay like there's something about kim studiously saying this isn't her fault i'm an adult that makes my own decisions and i do think that's that's all true but i also think you know it's hard to argue that had jimmy not gotten involved in four or five different points in in her recent life that none of this would have ever happened yeah so i think um maybe i got lumped in here with you because i don't think i said much about it Mm -hmm. last time um or in the the finale episode, but I think there's some of that going on. I think it's more like Jimmy Jimmy knows that if he would have stopped to look at Kim's state uh, somewhere along the way, maybe he would have, you know, been able to do something. Maybe he would have understood the kind of pressure that she was putting herself under yeah. and that wasn't sustainable and maybe find some way to help her out, but he never did that. Yeah, And, it was, um, and the ultimate, you know, moment of hey, I'm completely oblivious to what you're going through, is that moment where he comes in with the Zafiro, right? Right. And, and that happened just moments before that. So I think there's definitely, like, both things in there, although I don't... I, I, I don't know. I, I think Jimmy was maybe dancing around it a little bit more than you do. Hmm. I mean, yeah, I'm not going to say there's none of that. Like, it's it's a spectrum, right? And sure, And I guess, yeah. like, if... if uh, 
uh, you and maybe Brandon want to say it's 80% affection, 20% awkwardness, and like guilt and blame. I would probably say it's more 70% guilt and, and blame and 30% genuine affection. Uh, yeah, and, and this is this – is So it's like we're the, just arguing degrees and shades, which is a, appropriate because sure. it's not in the script. No, and that's the thing. Like none – I don't, none of Jimmy and Kim's relationship is in the script, honestly. Like, I, I'm I'm exaggerating for effect here. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the moments where we, we see them happy together or their relationship strained are very few. And I keep and they keep flip-flopping between the two. And that's why, mm-hmm. like I said in previous episodes, I'm having a hard time reading that relationship. But it also, like, it's just so there's also a lot of unspoken things that aren't in the script but we know that are true. Mm-hmm. For example... Ever since she did the look, if you're going to do this shit, don't tell me. Yeah. That has been like, and, and Jimmy doesn't need any further barriers to intimacy because he's already, a, he's, he's a bit more of a, a natural liar uh, and a person <laughs> uh-huh. who does not like to come out with the truth and be direct than is good for him. Mm-hmm. So her telling him that, uh, number one, I surmise that that puts a bit of a, a emotional barrier to their intimacy and what I absolutely know is true is Kim's been working herself to death, sleeping at the office. I I question whether they've been physically intimate at all since sure. Jimmy, you know, dropped the bomb that he's a different kind of lawyer on her last season. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was before she degraded Chuck, who she pres- presumably saw as a mentor before. And she, we know she felt that, hey, I just, I just kicked the sick man when he was down. So I do think there is enough... Like, it's not necessarily in a strip, but stuff we know, if we put it all together, p- paints a portrait of this of this really strained relationship. And, I mean, I, it's valid to say that a car accident would, would maybe temporarily buy a reprieve from that. But I've also seen the opposite. I've also seen where something like that is you – know, I remember Mad Men – where Peggy accidentally stabs the the one uh, like beatnik reporter, mm-hmm. and he's like, you know what? This is I just I just realized how completely different we are and what things we want out of life. And fuck this, I'm out. Mm-hmm. Whereas Peggy, and so it's like it, it it can sometimes shove someone out of the nest, you know, rather than be like, oh, you know, well, this wasn't comfortable and I wasn't getting any 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 anything from it, so might as well cut it off now while it already hurts. Yeah, I guess. I wonder how um, self-aware Kim is, you know? That's great. Like, how much does she understand her own mental state? Like, does she think it's the work that's affecting her and that's the only thing? Does she think it's the relationship with Jimmy? That's um, a really good question because being that self-aware is kind of rare in individuals, right? Mm-hmm. So especially someone that I, I kind of feel like that she's predisposed to being closed off. Yeah. And just, like, you know, throwing herself into work and there's always more work to throw yourself into, so. <laughs> right. Uh, Savannah M hashtag gotta love Kim. I want to counter what you and many on Reddit say there's nothing of breaking bad to suggest that Kim is out of the picture. Just because we don't see her doesn't mean Jimmy and Saul doesn't go home to her at night. She loves her boundaries and plays close to her heart. Let the Villa gang prove me wrong. But I'd like to think that she's in the background of breaking bad. I mean, it's just, it's just a little too convenient. Like, obviously there's nothing that proves it wrong because right. Kim wasn't a thing back then. Yeah, so you can't, you can't dis, you can't disprove the absence of something. Yeah. Saul never said, I don't have a girlfriend named Kim anymore. Right. Uh, of course not. But it's, it would be a little too convenient for my taste if she was just never mentioned in Breaking Bad, even though she's there. And if your hashtag gotta love Kim, is that what you want to see her? Someone who has just completely subsumed her morality and ethics to be with this guy who makes crass passes at uh, 
Francesca, uh, mm-hmm. aka Honey Tits, uh, who's brags about his conquest of the women. I mean, I, I just don't. To me, I don't know who Kim would be happy with, but it doesn't seem like it would be Jimmy ever. Yeah. Probably right. It could have been Jimmy in season one if his brother had seen in his heart to to forgive him and give him another chance. But I think that mm-hmm. that 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 potential's gone now. Yeah, yeah. I just don't see her. Uh, yeah, I, I don't see it. I don't see it. Uh, David from North Carolina. What am I missing here? You both are so against seeing Saul. I'm beyond confused why. The show is called Better Call Saul. I doubt I'm in the minority thinking that it was going to be a show about a sleazy criminal lawyer and his adventures. Walter White was not his first criminal partner. This show would be edgy and funny with lots of commentary in the criminal underworld and our criminal justice system. Are you two really happy that it turned into the Chuck and Mike montage show? So, I don't know if you listened to our pre-season one cast, uh-huh. but we were very much up in the air like, what the fuck is this show going to be? Mm-hmm. Because even at that time, we were like, I don't think a show about better about Saul himself has legs. Mm-hmm. It would have to be this weird like comedy hybrid thing episodic thing where yeah he comes into the nail salon and oh, i've got you know or then and that he... might be somewhat entertaining but it's nothing like breaking bad no um this show has turned out to be much more like it right and i i think that's a good thing but my point is you know even early on we were like what the hell is this gonna be it can't be saul so we've been kind of on that train the whole time yeah and i mean i <sighs> That you're right, and I think that if you look at season one objectively, uh, David, that it seems Vince and Pete didn't really know what the hell they were doing either, mm. because there's a lot of that episodic, Saul, you know, Jimmy kind of more Saul than we've seen him since, like on his knees in the desert begging for his life, thinking real fast, doing cons, yeah. and and then the heavy dramatic stuff was being provided by Mike, and then that kind of switched in the late season where they really. You know, this this could have been an odd couple dynamic that's harmless and, and a comedy engine between him and his brother, but it became this really pathological thing. Yeah. Um. So, like, am I happy that it turned into a Chuck and Mike montage show? I mean, I didn't see that. Um. I was just as um in for the further adventures of Saul Goodman as everybody else, but that's what the show has turned into. And I don't think, like I said. Now, the reason Saul worked is because you didn't know or care anything about him. He came mm-hmm. in for three or four hilarious minutes of Breaking Bad to break the tension, uh, make a bunch of wry observations about everything, have a bunch of colorful rogues gallery, the Hules and the uh, fucking redheaded EPA scammers and all that stuff. Um, yeah. The more I think about it, because we, I, I think in the when we first heard about it, we're like, that sounds like a half hour procedural comedy. Yeah, and I very rarely check in for those. Right, or you know, it's they're fun to binge, and I do mm-hmm. watch some comedies from time to time. But um, I don't know. I just feel like now that we we they've made us care about Jimmy and these other characters, they can't do that. Yeah, it would feel so emotionally dissonant to, and it's already like I I, I question about how much this changes our experience of watching Breaking Bad. Because it's going to be very hard to be like, oh, that's Saul. He's so irrepressible. Uh, when you see the depths of his falling and failure and how mm-hmm. much personal ghosts, like, you, you know, how are you going to watch Breaking Bad without seeing the ghost of his brother saying that you're a chimp with a machine gun as he's helping Walter White climb the criminal whatever empire state building as i got i got so many fucking mixed metaphors <laughs> wow. as king kong maybe uh-huh. i can bring godzilla yeah. 
Uh, but as you know, you, as you see Walter White fight Mothra. <laughs> <laughs> That's season seven. Uh, once Vince and Pete get really down in their luck, it's yep. uh, Breaking Bad part two. The, the really good episodes when Walter White fights the metal version of himself. What's ha- what happens is like you know Walt dies in a desert in New Mexico. In 50 years, when the Cold War tensions are back oh, right. at the height with American, we start test, we start violating the nuclear test ban. Mm-hmm. They're going to detonate bombs in New Mexico's desert. It's going to irradiate the bones of Walter White, interact with the cancer still latent in his DNA, and make Cancer Man, Cancer Man, and Mecca Mecca Cancer Man. Yep, and uh, yeah, watch out, Hawaii, he's yep. coming for and, you. <laughs> and they'll have to get a seven year old. Jesse Pinkman out of the hills of Alaska <laughs> to do single combat with him. It's going to be awesome. I can't. I'm wait. actually kind of into it now that I talk about it. But yep. yeah, I, I just I just don't know what patience. Like, I mean, you're not in a minority thinking that's what the show would be. I think you are in a very solid minority of wanting the show to be that now. Hmm. Yeah. So, uh, JG Johnson, I think both of you are overstating how bad Saul becomes in Breaking Bad. Saul is a low-rent lawyer who force, or focuses on getting low-level drug dealers off. He also works to get illegitimate settlements from insurance companies. Not honorable work, but not evil. Yeah. The only really evil thing I think Saul did was suggest that Walt and Jesse kill Badger. Besides that, it was just run-of-the-mill criminal stuff. Mike has done a lot more bad things than Saul ever did. I, uh, I, I have, I, maybe it's the Judeo-Christian in me, but I happen to think suggesting murdering someone as a legal strategy puts you in the evil column. Sure. Yeah, like if your client follows that advice, you have been complicit in a murdering of not a great person, but a human being, mm-hmm. uh, just for slightly fucking up the industry that you're perpetually fucking up in. Like that's that's, I yeah, I can't I can't get behind that. Yeah, I mean when Mike talks about you know he's seen good criminals, bad criminals, or good guys who are right. good criminals, whatever he says, right. Uh, the same thing applies to lawyers, right? Sure. And I think Jimmy is definitely not what people would call a good lawyer. No. He's no. he's essentially he's, scamming insurance companies. He's working in the criminal underworld. He's a funnier version of Levy from The Wire, and Levy was a scumbag. Okay. So yeah. I – yeah. I mean, like, and, and this is where I get like – you know, we joke about sociopaths. But... but this is where I feel like sometimes people watch the television show, and that's a license to just have whatever moral take they want. Like, hmm. that's fine. You can. It is just a television show. But I don't hmm. think uh, – I mean, the, the, the engaging kind of moral relativism to be like, well, Saul wasn't that bad a guy. He just suggested murdering someone to make a legal problem go away. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's not as – he hasn't done that as much as Mike. But how many people – I mean, I don't know. How many people have you planned to murder? Zero. Yeah, so far. Zero. I've gotten 40 years. I'm halfway <laughs> through my life, and I haven't pl- plotted the death of anyone <laughs> Uh, in any kind of serious way, anyway. Like, yeah, there's guy cut me off in the street, and I could wish if I had a button that could push him a dash, it would blow him up. Probably would. <laughs> Done. Yep. But you know, in a sober moment, no. Uh, guy in Montana, I think you guys have made false character assumptions regarding Jimmy to Saul's arc with his recent treatment of Irene. You, along with everyone else, are surmising this is the beginning of his fall into Saul. Oh, oh boy. I hope so. Well, well, they pulled it. They turned it around on us too. So yeah, but it's and the weakest. That. It's the weakest Saul to Jimmy turn, and also it happened at the end of the season, which makes me think that maybe it's the first time they've left scaffolding to get the next season. Yeah, I don't understand the like surmising because clearly on the last episode we said, well, they spun it back around and they pulled Jimmy back from the brink. So all right. Well, this is a re- I, mm-hmm. I like I like his reasoning here through the rest of the email. So let's, okay. let's get past that initial quibble. Um, this is he does fall to Saul, but and but it's not the way you think. In Breaking Bad, we never saw Saul screw a little old lady to get what he wants. 
His business model is a cater to the less scrupulous amongst us, but he goes this route because it allows him to play to his strengths. The last three episodes, we see Jimmy fall in hard financial times. At the end of it, he discovers he is not someone who can manipulate innocent people, leaving them distraught and broken. This is who Jimmy is. He always has been and will be a con man with a heart of gold. Jimmy learns in order to live with himself and to make money, he must lean into a certain type of client and mark, thus playing to his strengths as Kim tells him to do. This is how Saul is born. He decides to lawyer... Uh, to unsavory demographics, so he no longer has to worry about his conscience. DUIs, criminals, even accident, quote-unquote, victims. People looking to make a quick buck after being injured, maybe, and going after deep pockets. Classic Slipping Jimmy. He knows that racket intimately and could possibly con both sides without remorse. This is how Jimmy will become Saul, not becoming by becoming a completely unwashed asshole, but by understanding who he is and leaning into that. I think... So that implies that there's a further level for him to fall when he finally gets into bed with Walter White, which is where he starts suggesting murder and mm-hmm. those kind of betrayals. Um, I I thought that was pretty strong. Yeah. Um, because you're right. Better Call Saul does not prey on old ladies and, you know, immigrants and other vulnerable populations. He is... If you got a DUI, you got a drug bust you need to get out of, you got a car accident that you need money for, I'm your man. Yeah, and I think so the part I do agree with there is that they have been laying the groundwork consistently season after season where Jimmy is you know, a pretty self-aware character. He understands that it's not in his nature to work at Davis and Maine. He understands that it's not in his nature to hold down yes. any kind of real job. He wants to be a con man and mm-hmm. you know, I I do agree that at some point he is going to lean into that. Um, and I, I just, I guess I don't know when it's going to happen. And if it happens too early, how do you continue the show with him just going full con man I don't think without he... it turning into just con of the week? I don't, yeah, I, yeah. They need to hold off a little bit longer, which is what they're doing. You know, they keep uh-huh. stalling and that's also starting to take its toll on the audience as well. I right. Think. Right. So they're kinda... there's only so much of that you can see. Now they right. do, there's. Every every season has had, even though they've reversed it, there's been stakes, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, the first is he lost his brother's love. The second is he learned to hate his brother. And the third, now mm-hmm. he's actually lost his brother. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, dealing with the guilt and trauma and all that's going to be interesting. But, yeah, I, mm-hmm. I mean, like I said, I, I, I agree. I agree that there's um, – but my, I guess my point is, like, I only need two or three episodes to to appreciate Guy's point here before it's time for gene time or it's time for a colorful montage time lapse or something and which is like i just 10 episodes next season before we get the gene and then that implies you'd have another season because i don't think i mean correct me if i'm wrong but i don't think there's a whole season worth of gene i think there's a maybe a three episode finale arc Mm -hmm. where they flash forward in the gene land or maybe even just a finale itself so if they do two seasons like that implies there's another 19 to 16 episodes of Slippin' Jimmy's transformation to Saul. So Yeah, I really wonder, you know, what the thing is going to be to push him over now that Chuck is gone. It it seems like he has to have this moment where it just no longer makes sense for him to keep thinking that the right way is his way, right? Like the good path is the one yeah. he needs to follow. And I just don't know what that thing is anymore. There is precedence for a show to descend into a parody of itself. Like, um, I'm thinking like Boston Legal. That started as a fairly, I think, serious uh, spinoff of The Practice, which (laughs) is already a spinoff. 
and it just turned into you know William Shatner acting bizarre with this fucking mad cow disease and uh you know James Spader acting bizarre with his word salad issues and it just turned into uh, a, a parody of itself and it was super entertaining as as you were in that kind of madhouse descent but mm-hmm. so I, I guess there is it wouldn't be unprecedented for Better Call Saul to turn back into the thing we thought it was going to be for a season or so before it gets on with the business of wrapping itself up yeah but then you think okay well th- there's some relationship with Nacho that he's got and it seems like it's a larger one than the one he currently has yeah. in Better Call Saul yeah so maybe True. I mean, Mike's starting to get in bed with him. Gus is now connected to Nacho in a tangential way. So, But that's weird, too. Maybe some drama with that. I mean, Nacho has kind of won. Yeah, yeah. Like, Gus Gus is a ascendant in the cartel. Yeah, but maybe not at the time he wanted to be. I don't, I don't understand why Gus has given him the side eye so much. Yeah. I think it's because he's eyeing him to be a lieutenant. You think so? Yeah. But we know, oh yeah, I could be. Who we're, we're back trying to read the <laughs> Villa Gang's mind. So yeah. let's get on to Dan from Mordor in the UK. Mordor, yeah, that's where the uh, the one ring was forged. I've enjoyed the series overall, but I'm not too pleased with its current progression. At the end of season two, Mike was about to kill Hector, and Chuck almost killed himself when he fell and hit his head at the copiers. By the end of season three, Hector's finally met his fate, as has Chuck. Feels like they spent the last two seasons building up to both of these events, then hit the reset button and did exactly the same thing in season three. He has an idea to mix things up. Could Kim be about to get pregnant? She seems to have almost given up on her career, and following the last episode, you could conceivably see her backing Jimmy as Saul while she becomes a stay-at-home mom. I I can't. Like I feel would... like that's the least interesting thing you could do with Kim. Like, let's take the most basic thing about her and, and turn that into her plot. Oh, she's a woman. Yeah, Let's right. do that. Let's The baby alarm's going to go off. <laughs> right. And she likes sitting on the couch and watching TV anyway. Uh, yeah, not to make fun of you, listener. I'm no, no, sorry, no, no. but, I like, that doesn't interest me. Yeah. And I don't and, think and it, it also, interests Kim. It also feels like it'd be a very tragic end for her. Yeah. Uh, to like, she's it's, it's much one more thing, ambitious. It's one thing not to achieve the Atticus Finch, like you know, civil rights lawyer, because very few lawyers, even ones that set out to do that, um, achieve it. Yeah, but to just then say fuck it, I'm going to punch out kids. Ah, yep. Um, it does add a little bit of spice to like I guess Breaking Bad era Saul because he's got a family and kids. Um. But yeah, I don't, I, I don't see it. I like Kim too much to see. Not that being a stay-at-home mom is a failure either, mm-hmm. but it certainly it doesn't seem like from any any indication that's that's Kim's dream. Yeah. So it would feel like a defeat for her character. Uh, Josh H. I love this season. I think the Villa Gang has done a masterful job of telling Jimmy and Saul's story. That said, they've really done some storytelling judo that goes beyond pretending like there's a chemically sound way to melt bodies or that two major aircrafts could collide in mid-flight. It's heavily implied that if Chuck were to just retire somehow, HH and M wouldn't have to pay him any money for his partnership. That's just not how it works. If Chuck owns part of a business, it would be crazy to just walk away from his share. Beyond that, if his share was really worth a lot of money, Hamlin should be able to shop that portion out to other lawyers who would buy in to take ownership of that share. So, Chuck could get paid in full. There'd be no problem for Hamlin. No one becomes partner, though, through this seniority. People become partner by getting seniority and then giving the opportunity to buy in, thus becoming a partner. I mean, that's all – that is all very true. I mean, uh, I, I guess I haven't – you know, the retirement thing is is silly because he doesn't have to give up ownership to retire. That's he, true. And, and then the reputation is fine because he's no longer working there. Right. Um, but I guess I didn't consider that someone could buy into a partnership. 
could buy out Chuck's share essentially, which it seems silly that Hamlin isn't even trying that. Yeah. Well, I mean, so the thing is, is Chuck. It's, it's the, the, so I, I have a I have a problem with you conflating this with the uh, inability to melt bodies or the fact that you can't blow shit up by throwing a crystal underground. Like those are just use those just don't work. Mm-hmm. Those are just plot devices. This um, the show. I mean, that's what Howard wanted him to do. He wanted him to retire, sit on his ass, cash checks, and be out of the game. Like he would forego. Yeah. Whatever salary he is, which entitled. is why in season one he's sending him checks, right? Yes, <laughs> like just stay where you are, Chuck. We don't want you here. <laughs> yes, so I, I I don't feel like they've ignored that. It's just that that was part of the plot point. Chuck refusing to go along with that path. Yeah, or um, Jimmy like as proxy refusing it for him. Yeah, and again, not, all of this is academic unless we have their operating agreement in front of us because. Sure. A lot of this stuff could just be like Howard wouldn't suggest something that uh, he can't get like, like that you would have to amend that to to actually have because obviously Chuck's not going to do anything yeah. that's going to require amending the operating agreement or anything like that. So, um, you know, not only are we not lawyers, we don't even have access to the legal document that would 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 you know ratify this whole thing. Radley S. When Better Call Saul's first announced as a sequel or a prequel, I got very excited. Every time we saw future elements, I was immensely curious about what would happen next to the character of Gene. Yet after three seasons of purely simple backstory, I'm starting to feel a lot of elements of the first season could have been cut out or written without long storylines. Although I like the plot lines of the Kettlemans, Tuco, the Skateboarder Twins, Jimmy versus Howard in Season 1, I really feel like they've added only a little to the overall story as a whole. As an average consumer of media, I would say sequels are definitely more refreshing to watch than prequels. Um, that last one has a lot of insight there because it does seem that advancing a plot is more interesting than filling in the color of a plot you already know where it's going. Yeah, I could get behind that. I mean, there's very there's few examples like um, you know the, the 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 thing I always think back of is like this without remorse prequel in the Tom Clancy series where you had this very mysterious CIA agent. You didn't even know his real name. He was just super fucking cool and like this badass character. And then with throughout remorse showed him as a young man and how he became that person. So like you know, it's not a question about whether he lives or dies, but what would bring up what would per, what would bring a man uh, what seems like it'd be a good man that cares about things like family. What would turn that person into a remorseless killing machine? Mm-hmm. And that's interesting to see, but. And I guess that's what we're exploring here, just over 30, 40 episodes, is what takes a good man, a lovable, you know, con man like Jimmy, and turn him into a sleazebag lawyer like Saul. Yeah. But that's fundamentally not as interesting a question as the other thing. It doesn't have nearly as many stakes. And Yeah, imagine if these stories were like, well, I don't know, Jimmy and Saul have not had a, a slip back into, like, good man territory, I don't think. Mm. But, like... If if you were to take, you know that that assassin killer guy that you're talking about, that badass, and try and turn him into a good person with a sequel, would that be more interesting than than the prequel well, I mean, version? The, right? It pro- yeah, probably. Because you might not see it coming. Yeah. Um, you could also, you know, you're a little more open in what kind of story mm-hmm. you can tell. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, obviously. The sequels are always going to be more, but I think there's a way to tell the oh, a sure. version of a prequel story that's more interesting. It's just that this is not 
a man's fall from a sleazy person to a slightly sleazier person yeah. is not as interesting as uh, you know a law and order order guy becoming a assassin for the U.S. government. I guess right is what I would what I what I would say. Um, you know, a person like like Walter White's inherently more interesting because he is an actor that accomplishes things and exerts his will. Uh, Jim in, in Breaking Bad, Saul is not a character that exerts his will at any one point. He is mm-hmm. something that services the the protagonist. So yeah. it's all it was always going to be. It's always going to be tough. It's always going to be tough. And I, if you like the Kettlemans and two, like I I like the Kettlemans. I like the Jimmy versus Howard stuff. The Tuco and Skateboarder Twins I thought were two completely wasted episodes mm-hmm. um, of a of a show that they thought they were going to make and actually didn't. Yeah. Um, but if you liked, I mean, I guess. Does a show owe you anything more than to be entertained in the moment? Uh, I don't. I don't think it owes you anything more. But if it can hit, you know, the higher highs, yeah, certainly, right. Um, that's a good thing to strive toward. But then again, also, it's. I guess it would be fair for a fan to say, "Well, yeah, they don't owe me that." But also, it's fair for me to question after thirty hours of investment. Mm-hmm. Okay, yes, this has been a droll way to pass the time. But I thought I was going to get this, and I don't know that I'm interested in putting in 30 more hours yeah so that's always the two-way street like george martin's not my bitch but i also don't owe him to be a fan if you know mm-hmm. he never completes his novels like you sure. know I'm, I'm free to criticize that behavior as well mm-hmm. it's a two-way street here with with fans i think uh madeline k well we all agree that breaking bad is an awesome show uh enough already I'm already watching another amazing and distinct drama, and it's simply not a prequel to Breaking Bad. It can stand on its own. I want a show to forget Breaking Bad and remember that it's not a prequel. It's amazing spinoff and the best drama of the year so far. Um, I'm okay with watching this show in its current world. Why does it need to be a path towards Breaking Bad? I like the world and enjoy Better Call Saul. I'm more interested in Nacho, Mike, all characters, but why does it need to exist or have this obsession of when or how they get to Breaking Bad? Bypass Breaking Bad and let's head towards Gene. It would be a disservice to see the actual spinoff of Saul just be a way to continue to want to get and become Breaking Bad. In a better call Saul, or in a way, better call Saul is a difficult show to watch and not a binge fest like Breaking Bad, but it's a much better drama. Um, I mean, that's we're hmm. just arguing subjective opinion here. Yeah, I also uh, I, I think the idea is interesting that you could take Better Call Saul and make it into a show that doesn't you know, meet ends with Breaking Bad. Like, it doesn't take you all the way from Jimmy to Saul. Yeah. It doesn't need to. Maybe it just tells the story of Jimmy uh-huh. instead of Saul. But I think they've already ruined that by going the Gene, Gene route. right. Because yeah. they've kind of bookended Breaking Bad, and now if they don't get to Breaking Bad, I, wonder I feel they, like we're going to I wonder if they kind of regret that because... I mean, they lean into it every season. Well, so. but, you know, like, because I think they ha- once they introduce it, they have to. But, like, the fact that they're uh-huh. already teasing a sequel while you're in the middle of this prequel, it's kind of like, oh, my God, what the hell? Yeah. Um, it'd almost be like if you had – so so there's another – I don't know if I actually included this for consideration, but someone emailed me and said, like, consider if Breaking if Better Call Saul was its own show, mm-hmm. had no relation to Breaking Bad. Is it not already fundamentally more interesting? And it's hard to say in a vacuum – I think it is just because it opens up the possibilities. Yes, for Jimmy, Jimmy he could, could die. die or... Like he could, he could turn into a good person. Yeah, you know, um, he could go completely clean. We just right. We there's a lot more. There's a lot more room for him to maneuver into interesting ways. Yeah, he doesn't have to stay in New Mexico. Sure, he could go some other place and practice law. Like there, he doesn't lot... have to be a lawyer, right? Yeah, but now imagine that show and the final five minutes was always because remember, like in the Super Mario Brothers adventure, like the last five minutes would always be like Link and Zelda. 
And if you're okay. if you're the older brother of a bunch of morons like I was, like you live for that five minutes. Like fuck Lou Albano and the Super yeah, Mario. Zelda Bull. was clearly better. Zelda was the better, more like if you're an early like a pre adolescent to late ad- or to early adolescent, that's the show you want to watch. Imagine Better Call Saul if it, it last five minutes of every show was a tease to Walter White and what he was up to. I kind of feel like it would have that relationship just because hmm. the stakes are higher and what Walt is doing is objectively cooler. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's more engaging. And that's a better drama. That's a subjective opinion. But I don't know. Blowing shit up and killing people and dissolving bodies seems like it's more dramatic than the finer points of partnership negotiation. Yeah. Uh, she has a second point. Um I suffer from mental illness, and although I haven't done exactly what Chuck did, it's an amazing and creative illustration or visual of what it's like to have live with a mental in, uh, condition, including the fuck Chuck part. For me, hating Chuck, I began to personally make a direct link with my own self-hatred, which is an aspect of my own mental illness. The frustration of others who suffer around a person who have an invisible illness is also excellent illustrated. Uh, and I'm also in the Chuck, uh, fuck Chuck, Chuck camp, again, because fuck me. I thought that was a good take, that, like... Chuck is aware on a lot of levels of what a, what of a, how unengaging he is as a human being. I think so. Yeah. So like that's got to be the fact that this condition is causing you to behave in this erratic, irrational way, which is causing people to withdraw from you. Probably does feed a little bit of that self-loathing, and you when you watch him kick that lantern off, like that's certainly part of the emotion that's in that portrayal. Just like a, yeah. a disgust with himself and a. a uh, 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 tired of struggling with this thing, and um, I thought that was a pretty good insight. And I think having suffered the ultimate defeat at that point, like he gave it his best, he gave it his best try. And when it came down to it, he wasn't able to conquer it in his own way, which yeah. was essentially like to to just power his way through uh, it. Yep. Yep. Um, and so he felt as if he was never going to get over it. Uh, Josh K, want to get your thoughts on how Better Call Saul will ultimately change the way we view some key moments in Breaking Bad. As an example, I will forever view the Hector Gus final standoff in a new light. When watching Breaking Bad, it's a supervillain being taken down by our main protagonist with the use of an unlikely ally or tool in Hector Salamanca. In Breaking Bad, a young Hector was an asshole, but old Hector was a somewhat likable character with some real moments, like always taking a piss, sometimes literally, on the DEA. <laughs> if nothing else, he was a character to be pitied, which made that final scene work better. Two villains and an epic final standoff. After viewing Better Call Saul, where Gus is one of the characters we sympathize with, and where Hector is not only an asshole, but supremely su- stupid, it completely changes the way I view that scene. This isn't really a problem if it's all about your point of view. After all, if we had a long prequel about the Pinkman family struggling to help Jesse, wouldn't we feel less pumped when he finally, with Saul's help, screws them out of their house? Yeah, I mean, I guess that's what I've been saying the latter half of the season, is, like, some of these changes are good. Like, mm-hmm. I think some of these things are going to make Breaking Bad a lot more impactful when you rewatch it, but some it does feel like especially with the Hector stuff, it does feel like it makes Gus less cool in retrospect. Uh-huh. Um, you yeah. know, it'd be like if the prequels established Darth Vader as being a Darth Helmet type, mm-hmm. uh, then it automatically makes the, you know, rebellion seem more pathetic and, you know, the Luke's ultimate victory over him as 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 uh, not as satisfying. Sure, yeah. I, I think the one thing, you know, they, they kind of showed us the bookends of that character as well, right? Like, in Breaking Bad, they showed us the the death of Max and then, you know, Gus's rise to power and then fall. So, 
I don't feel like there's going to be a lot of like major changes that we're going to have happen mm-hmm. um, just by kind of filling in the blanks for Gus. But certainly I think it will color how we feel about Gus. Yeah, and there's a couple – I'm trying to think if there's any other ways where it kind of harms that for the and, – and I also – the other thing I guess – I was listening to the last three insider podcasts is I don't know that Vince and Peter are aware of how the audience would react to this Irene business. Hmm. It seems to, for them that they felt like that's more of a morally gray issue that like, it's certainly scummy, but not. And the fact that he's fixes it all at the end, all is forgiven. Like I don't, I, I mean, I haven't gotten a lot of discussion from them where they're like, wow, this was a really definitive bad thing to do against uh you know it's a really predatory thing to do yeah yeah especially since it wasn't involving survival is is it was involving his comfortable living mm-hmm. um i i don't know i don't know because like uh, there's a couple times where like vince has expressed amazement at how much people hated skyler but he's the guy who wrote a large part of season one which is where that's ground zero of why people started to hate skyler <laughs> for sure yeah so i i don't know if he maybe some blinders sometimes yeah him and pete don't get that going into next season they might have some bad times because i'm i'm really my patience for happy-go-lucky jimmy woe is me strumming his guitar with his bad back is going to be pretty low i feel like do you think there's <laughs> So you think it's possible that Jimmy has in better or in Breaking Bad, sorry, shifted his focus from one group of people who who would be the elderly in um Better Call Saul where he you know, I think at some point he genuinely cared for that group of people, right? He was trying to do things to help them. It just so happened that he was benefiting from it as well, mm-hmm. but it was more like a mutual symbiosis type of thing. Yeah. He wasn't this this parasite. Now at the end of this season, we see him totally destroy his relationship to help that class out. Mm-hmm. Um, now he, in Breaking Bad, is working for uh, people who are maybe, maybe not, like, rightfully entitled to money after mm-hmm. accidents and whatnot. Do you think he has, like, some kind of feeling that he owes these people something and that he is willing to destroy his reputation much like he did with these elderly no. in order to get these people something by no, becoming Saul. I, I think the previous emailer is right on where he's he's picking his marks appropriately. You think so? Like, you know, um I don't know how you feel, but anytime I see a billboard with like a lawyer with boxing gloves on mm-hmm. or a Keller and Keller or someone standing astride a wreck semi triumphantly, I'm yeah. thinking I'm not calling this asshole if I have a if a, a serious accident. And totally, I'm, but that's exactly my point. Is right. the reputation of that lawyer is kind of in my it's mind diminished by those type of advertising yeah, uh, yeah, or yeah. advertisements. Whereas maybe the work he's doing is actually for people who are wrongfully injured and deserve this money and stuff. How, okay, connect those dots a little bit better for me because I'm not. I thought you. Like if I thought I was picking up what you were putting down, but I mean, if you're in an accident and it's not your fault and you can't afford to get a lawyer and sure. sue the insurance company because they're not paying you, uh-huh. um, there, there's room for a lawyer like Saul to come in and say, "I'm going to do this for you, and I'm going to be a little sleazy about it, uh, be a little sleazy in my advertising to get the attention of these people." 
So he's yeah. sacrificing his reputation in order to service the people who really do deserve some kind of representation. I guess I don't know enough about the types of people that would call. Yeah, like, to same me, here. that to me, I always equate big advertisement with low customer satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Like if you are a well-established and successful law firm, word of mouth is probably you're going to be the best game in town. You don't need to like have high dollar b- b- bullet. You know, I, I feel the same way about all companies. Like. Uh, you know, why do is Allstate a great insurance company? If so, why do they spend so many hundreds of millions of dollars advertising how great they are? Yeah, like, what, do I want like a, a smaller regional outfit that is is got better word of mouth and like better maybe sounder financials and doesn't spend a bunch of money on marketing? Mm-hmm. I, that's the way I look at it. So I I do think that like so I guess if I had to, if I had to generalize, I'd say the people that call. The, the boxing glove type lawyers are low information people mm-hmm. that could be because they're ignorant. It could be because they just have never dealt with lawyers. They haven't, you know, or they're a little shady. They like their claim is like okay. mm, eh, kind of and, and, and other more reputable lawyers look at that. And because it's it's well, not like case, it's all, it's right. not only Jimmy's will represent you for free. Mm-hmm. Almost any kind of like tort lawyer like this will represent you for a fra- for what he thinks for a fraction of what he can get for you. Right. Sometimes okay. a big fraction. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know if I agree with your analysis. I don't agree with it, so it's fine. <laughs> like, I'm floating an idea that I thought was an interesting twist. Sorry, on I didn't perspective. mean to, didn't mean to blow it up. I just uh, I've, I've thought a lot about these fucking these the Keller and Keller guys. Okay. Uh, Josh K. Um, okay, we already considered that. John G. I want to disagree with your assessment of Kimmy and Jim. I think they still have chemistry, and I think when he said, after what's happened, I don't give a fuck about The Office, was a legitimate emotional reality of Jimmy's real feelings towards Kim. And I think she felt it when he said it. That's a, hmm. a lot to unpack, because you have to grant that Jimmy has real feelings, which I do, but that he understands and actualizes those feelings in a useful way, which I don't. Like, yeah. Like he, like I think a lot what Chuck said about his expressing sorrow and remorse after yeah. something's blown up his face is a coping mechanism. Yeah. Like if I tell you how bad I feel as a human being, then you will not feel like you need to articulate or tell or or it's you know. sad puppy dog eyes, right? Like right. I know I've done bad. I'm in trouble, but oh, I'm yeah. so pathetic. You can't possibly be angry with me, right? So I guess I'm bringing some of that analysis into Kim and Jimmy's relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, John G continues. You're right about Jimmy wanting to be punished for his sins. The McGill brothers are Irish Catholic after all, but his guilt about Kim is legitimate. I think your outrage over her character betrayal by being aware of the operation force old lady to settle is misplaced. I don't think she's always known. She's vaguely aware that Kimmy does things outside of moral or ethical or legal behaviors, and she only finds out the details after her accident. I think she is in a totally different mindset once she clears her schedule for real and goes into full blockbuster eat cheese dipped in cheese mode. She's doing more than just relaxing and sleeping more. She's loosening her moral grip on Jimmy and the world. She thought she could beat it by working harder and being more right and legally upright, but that didn't work. She endangered people for doing it. So in that moment, she's giving up on all of it. She will eventually learn that that's not her either, and she has to separate from Jimmy to be herself. But right now, I think she fully gives in to Jimmy, and her feelings are real. I think that's an interesting take, that Kim is a person who has been preaching to Jimmy, do the right thing, do the right thing, do the right thing, and work hard, and and be straight as an arrow. And she's done all that, and managed to not kill herself or someone else by pure dumb luck. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So this kind of like physically and mentally and emotionally letting go of work for a while and going into like like Jimmy land that I guess that I never thought of it that way. But that does seem like a realistic reaction to that. Yeah, it's totally possible. It's like if you see your neighbor cheating his taxes year after year after year and he's always got a nicer coat or nicer boat, nicer car and he's buying a boat and he's taking his family on vacations and you're at what boat. point do you start fudging your tax return? The next day. <laughs> Especially next day, if you get audited and fucked over anyway. <laughs> right. Uh, the next day. It doesn't take long. You just, you're just fa- yeah. fast on the uptake, man. Well, I mean. Uh, clearly I better life strategy. I, I, want a, I want a nice coat. What can I say? Uh, Kyle. Okay, so when Mike takes 10 minutes to dismantle a car looking for a tracking device, it's indulgent, an example of how terribly slow place the season has been. But when we get 10 minutes of Chuck tearing the house apart and it's some of the best television you've ever seen. What? What the fuck? Wrong. That's not what I said. <laughs> Maybe I, he's talking to you here. Well, no, wait I thought that dismantling the car was amazing. Um, I said uh, my exact. Uh, I said the individual of these things were all interesting, but when you see a bunch of them over the course of three or four episodes, it does seem Okay. Start yeah. to feel indulgent, and that's what I was wor- like. I'm I'm always aware, and ultimately, like you know, Mike with his uh, metal detector finally th- reached the threshold of like, okay, mm, this yeah. this does feel like stalling. Yeah, you didn't like that. Um, but the dismantled car, like, not only first of all, it, Mike is an interesting guy to watch. Second of all, that was a fairly complicated, and intricate piece of you know spy craft and counter spy craft. And uh, I like the way that they told it visually rather than just explaining, oh, this is happening and this is happening, so I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, and, and I don't I, I don't know. Was Chuck tearing his house apart literally 10 minutes? It didn't feel like it was that long. Um, probably not. It was cut back minutes, and forth but... more often. Yeah. That's another thing that helps break that stuff up. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I don't know. Like I, and and yeah, I I also feel like that some of that Mike stuff was indulgent. Just because it worked and was interesting doesn't mean it wasn't. Hmm. Like you know, there I I think both things can be true. Uh, Ryan L. As a background, I'm an IRS enrolled agent, which is a fancy term for a kind of tax only oh, CPA. Oh well, then I hope you didn't listen to two minutes ago where I said. <laughs> Never you said mind. you would if no. you had a neighbor that yeah you, yeah you, you, yeah that's that's all. I didn't say I'm currently doing that right that's now right. on the 2016 tax forms. That's I didn't right. say that. But <laughs> what did you say in your Twitter account? That's what I want to know. Oh, crap. The way Howard brought out Chuck immediately got my attention. Rather than have the firm buy out Chuck, Howard did so with his own money. Much depends on the partnership agreement, but it's likely that if the firm bought out Chuck, his partnership share would have been distributed across the partners. But Howard uses his own money. That likely means he increased his partnership capital account and used this to buy out Chuck, very likely as a result of all Chuck's partnership interest, was required by Howard and Howard alone. This may be a significant short-term hit to Howard's personal wealth, but assuming HHM is as badass as it seems, it's a great long-term investment. It'd be like buying most of McDonald's in the 1960s or most of Apple in 1990. Any growth in the firm's bottom line from the buyout would accrue disproportionately to Howard, and when Howard eventually retires, he pays a very low capital gains tax rate on his cash out. How much of this is Howard seizing on an opportunity to make lemonade out of lemons? That I have not considered the fact that he is buying with his own money means he's probably getting all of Chuck's sizable stake as a partner yeah and i just wonder if the show is even considering it right like that's how how deep do i want to dig because i don't know how deep they would want to dig well i mean it's something that 
surely somebody will come into the writer's room with. Like, hey, you know, I was uh, listening yeah. to this podcast, and no, that's not how it would go. Well, definitely. I mean, they we know they listen, for sure. Plus, uh, doesn't Peter Gould, his sister-in-law, is a lawyer? Like, I, I, oh, I yeah? understand that he's gotten a lot of his kind of lawyerly advice from, like, she's the one that sent him, like, a four-hour bar um like like disbarment hearing that he watched from like like Connecticut or something so mm-hmm. like I, I he's got they got enough legal people sending them stuff from inside their own friend circle that maybe something like this yeah and I, I mean the way I read Howard I guess is he's doing more to try to protect the company that he's built I I think you know if there is an opportunity to seize there I suppose he would be doing that as well but I think mm-hmm. more it's a concern for the defense of the company. He's not on the offensive here. It does seem like he could have gone to his partners and said, okay, you know, do we, what do we want to do here? Do we want to, uh, and that, I, I don't know. Is that interesting to see a like board meeting? Where they're like, okay, here's a resolution. Everyone that says that we just, you know, find another buyer for Chuck shares. I don't know why wants to do that. How many people want to take a collection and we'll, you know, apportion his shares by buy-in. I don't know why wants mm-hmm. to do that. Fine. Fuck it. I'll do it myself. Like, some of the stuff you just have to, you just have to trust that the characters have made now, and also leaving mysteriously, they can they can punt this because there's lots of shades of difference here. Like Howard intentionally doing this to advance his own interest. Um, there's a different measure of what kind of like guilt he might feel if Chuck, you know, that like oh did I push Chuck into doing this right? Um, versus him. You know, right now, I feel like he's pretty pretty righteous that, like, Chuck forced him in a position that he had to, at, uh, to act to save his company, and he mm-hmm. put the best face he could on it, and this is all kind of Chuck's dealing. Yeah. Um, anything else before we move on? Nope. Brett McKenzie, looking back at the season, I find it interesting that while all of the early promotion pushed the return or pre-turn of Gus Fring, I don't feel like he loomed over the season that much. Mm-mm. Knowing how resourceful Mike is, how pensive Nacho is, and how much of a blowhard Hector is, a lot of what happened this season could have easily been written without factoring in Fring. Um, I agree. Actually, that was one of our concerns, that it's going to be, oh, look at Gus, here's Gus. So, a lot of the early seasons seemed to be that. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, I felt like he fit in like, like, it, like he's kind of felt like he's been in the cast forever. Yeah, just enough Gus for me. Just enough Gus. G E G, J E G. I must be in a minority here, but I don't really have an interest in diving deeper into the story of Cinnabon Jean. The first few minutes of each mm-hmm. season are fine enough for me, and when the series comes to an end, the final scene in the last episode to tie a nice bow around Jimmy Saul Jean is all I need. Agree or disagree? Okay. I mean, that's perfectly fine for you to have that opinion. You know, I, I mean, I I don't know what I need out of Gene. Yeah, like I, I think there's opportunity to tell a story with Gene, but it's a short story. It's not a, it's not a novel. Yeah, I'm thinking like if you got five seasons and you get five minutes of Gene in black and white, could that be like tell an interesting like in retrospect you'll realize it tells an interesting parallel story to the action that we're seeing. Kind of like Memento, you know, mm-hmm. you've got the backwards and forwards flowing of time, and there's some are color and some are black and white. Like, and yep. and you kind of after you get to the very end, you all of the pieces snap in place. Like, ah, that's what I saw. Mm-hmm. I think that would be a cool thing to pull off. Yeah, if they can do it with maybe you know, uh, I, I it does feel like that maybe a whole last episode needs to be black and white gene, but that's just that's just yeah. me spitballing, man. And they can they can do five episodes. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'll trust Vince and Peter. Yeah, uh, over Aaron and Jim, to be honest. 
Uh, finally, in a never-ending quest to bring Breaking Bad characters into Better Call Saul, I'd like to suggest an unusual one. Ted Binicky. Oh, boy. He seems like the type who might require legal advice on a Kim Wexler level, and he does enjoy his blondes who happen to be attached to other people. hey Uh Ted Binicky would be... Uh, he, he'd be a solid background character. Mm-hmm. I could see him looking for cash. I could see him looking for legal advice. I could see him looking for all kinds of things. Yeah. Wouldn't that... I guess that wouldn't necessarily involve Skylar. How long ago did she work there? That's a good question. It was years and years ago, wasn't it? Was it? Was it pre-Walt Jr.? I think it was, yeah, before Walt Jr. was born, but that seems... That seems way too far in the past. (laughs) Really long ago, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's back before they bought the house, so... I, hmm, maybe not. Hmm. I'm having a hard time putting my finger on that timeline as well. It seemed like it was at least five years, and he left... She left because Ted got inappropriate with her. Right. At least that's what Skylar said. Um, although, how much more inappropriate than singing Happy Birthday? The no Marilyn kidding. Monroe version of Happy Birthday to your boss can you get? Yeah. Uh, but that, yeah, that'd be that'd be cool. Um, and but yeah, you'd have to. I don't. I don't know what it would be like to see Anna Gunn. Um, that that seems like that would be too far to the fan service. Yeah. Sherry S., I think the next season is going to be focused on how Kim, Howard, and Jimmy deal with Chuck's death. Kim is already stricken with guilt uh, about what the trial had done to Chuck and will certainly assume their actions contributed to his suicide. I think Chuck will leave his money to the firm in a final fuck you to Howard as the suicide will ultimately be something that benefits the firm. This will torture Howard because he has to live with the idea of Chuck killing himself because Howard forced him out and questioning Chuck and question Chuck's loyalty. Jimmy will repress his guilt because he will use Chuck's last words to him as a reason to dismiss any culpability in his suicide. I think on some some subconscious level, Chuck's horrible words to Jimmy were enough effort to free Jimmy from his attachment and obligations to him, but will unfortunately turn him into the chimp with a law degree that he so desperately feared. I don't... Huh. Yeah, I... Okay, did Chuck know he was going to commit suicide when he had that conversation with Jimmy? I say no. Yeah, I, I don't think he did either. I think that was something that he came after completely relapsing, and the thing with like it, like I don't, I don't think at that moment that he knew that he was going to demolish his house and burn it down. Mm-hmm. So that I guess, since I don't believe that, that blows a hole in that particular part of theory. But um, I do. I mean, I guess this email started ha- having me think about. Not just Jimmy's reaction, but what we know about Howard and Kim, and those are, you know, those are part of the ensemble cast. Like, there's going to be far-reaching effects for everybody, right? Oh, for sure. Um, Howard's not a monster that we were led to believe. If you want to be a true monster, you jump it ahead five years, uh-huh. and you just let the audience assume that that's the thing that pushed him into Saul. Yeah. And then you just do a, a sitcom for the next two years. <laughs> with, are you with not entertained? Saul at the, at the front of it, yeah. Uh, Rodney W. I'm wondering how the police or anyone will know Chuck's death as a suicide. It seems to me that he intentionally chose the lantern method because people close to him were already concerned that he might accidentally set fire to the house by using these lanterns indoors. If they find a lantern that started a fire, won't everyone jump to the logical conclusion that Chuck's reckless use of propane lanterns indoors finally caught up to him? I mean, I guess... the house is demolished, though. Yeah, but he, so he back, he backslid into his crazy and got the torches out. Why would people think that he commit? I guess we both, like, if anything, yeah. we leapt to the suicide or maybe homicide, but, like, the fact that this probably looks like an accidental fire. Huh. I, I guess that's just not as interesting, right? Like, what effect does it have on Jimmy if his brother accidentally dies? 
Yeah. Not as as much of an effect as if he intentionally killed himself. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I, guess I, I would, agree with that. I would go more that direction, but I I mean, I guess there's nothing that really says it was suicide. Yeah, I mean, he it looks like it, I think from a certain like, especially when you think of what will survive a structure fire like that, mm-hmm. you're going to see the uh, torch on the floor next to a charred corpse, mm-hmm. and is that a suicide or is that accident? Did the guy fall asleep? His 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 foot shifted and the lantern? You know, who 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 can say? Who can say? His mental states one thing, but uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that's where I would think is like the world came down like a ton of bricks on this guy. So I could see suicide or, like, if enough neighbors saw Jimmy, you know, banging on the door angry, come on, Chuck, let me in, and then later that night the whole place burnt down. That's where I came with the looks bad for Jimmy angle, but. Reginald. Oh, go ahead. Wait, so he's in his. Have we considered the possibility that Chuck is not dead? Because in the moment, we isn't he wrapped it. entirely in flame retardant mylar materials? We we didn't consider it. Although I, I, I yeah, he pulls a Batman forever, right? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think that's silly, but it also he walks out of there with a mylar cowl. You know what I'm saying? Like like deciding to kick over a lantern is entirely different than sitting in a burning house while you are slowly roasted alive. Or sure, you die yeah, of smoke yeah. inhalation. Yeah. Like, you'd have to take a fairly superhuman effort of will to just not jump out a window or, like, you know what? This is a lot. This is hurting a lot more than I thought. Fuck this. Or maybe that Mylar bag he's in protects sure. him long enough to where he can't get out. Sure. You know? Um, I mean, that's that's essentially what they do. Like, the, there's that story about those, uh, you know, like, para-jumping fire troopers that got caught behind the... A fire line and a wind shift, and they, I guess they do have these thermal pockets that they can, like these like shiny reflective sleeping bags that will give them a few minutes protection, but mm-hmm. I don't know if you can stay in one while the house burns <laughs> around you. Um, he'll just be he'll just be a torso with a head. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's all he'll have. I, the, wait, legs. headless torso? No, he's got a head. Because like, wasn't the blanket over his head, too? Maybe. Seems uh, like that's remember. like he always did like the babushka kind of yeah. tucked under his chin. Uh, Reginald, why do people climb to the mountains? Most would say, duh, to get to the top. However, to drink 10 cup whiskey, I think. That, <laughs> damn straight. Damn straight. Uh, true, while standing on the summit is the ultimate goal, the climax, if you will. It's only rewarding because of the struggle it takes to climb to the mountain. Otherwise, folks would just helicopter to the top. I'm pretty I mean, sure assholes do. The view is pretty nice, too. Yeah. Uh, season three was like that helicopter ride, while seasons one and two gave us thrilling adventures before we came to the end. These adventures hit you in the gut so hard that many times you only need one sentence or word to take your mind and heart back to the roller coaster of emotions they invoke. For example, season one, episode nine, slipping Jimmy with a law degree is like a chimp with a machine gun. Uh, season one, episode six, they, uh, I broke my boy. Uh, what's season three's climax? Many point to Chuck's meltdown on the stand in episode five. If that's true, it still falls a little flat because what's the big statement made or mystery solved? Maybe there isn't much more to say in this show, and if season four is like season three, that's fine. It's just a little disappointing when you compare it to how the show began. This is another one of those I feel like. Yeah, I mean. If you... Like if season three had came and season two, everybody would say it's the best one. But the fact is it's not enough different and didn't advance things enough to and tell us new things to, to hold everyone's complete 100% interest. Yeah, I, I mean – I don't know. I think that moment on the stand is when Chuck realizes he has a real problem. Oh, sure. And it's not just some physical illness that he can get over. But there, 
I guess I guess the play devil's advocate is there's nothing that said that was the moment that thing like that that couldn't have been developed in the previous season. There's nothing saying that we needed that slow of a burn to his realization. Sure. <laughs> I mean, are there ways that you might have done it better or quicker or well, I mean, whatever? Sure, I I suppose. So, I mean, that, I mean, I guess that's isn't that the ultimate goal of storytelling to tell the most interesting version of the story you're trying to tell? Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess. And and if you can argue that sure. there is five episodes with a fat and a thirty episode catalog then then i guess yeah it feels like that's a valid judgment to make yeah i just don't know what i would replace it with or how i would do it better because that's the thing is like Mad Men was a slow burn but i don't feel like there was a lot of wasted scenes mm-hmm. um but then again there's a lot of don going in you know certain i know a lot this happens to every show right because even in Mad Men, uh where people were by the time five six and seven rolled around people were trained to how to watch the show there were still people saying like i don't like the fact that don is just on this tread character treadmill, mm-hmm. like fuck, I get it already. Like, yeah, I, 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 I'm sympathetic to that. Nick A from Perth, Australia. You guys have talked a lot about this in the previous seasons about Jimmy's transformation into Saul and what event is going to be the true inciting factor which will lead him to the flamboyant suits and mercenary nature. I'm curious um, if you think this would have been a better show if it was not a prequel to Breaking Bad. So this was the email I was talking about before. Um, I don't know. We, I, I feel like we kind of talked about that. Yes, I think if this show was not connected to Breaking Bad, it would be regarded better. Just like I think that if Godfather 3 was not the sequel to some two of the best films ever made, the, there would not be nearly as much bitching and moaning about it. Mm-hmm. Because I don't even think Godfather 3 is a bad film. But you talk to some people, it's a fucking you know betrayal of everything that came before and just uh-huh. destroyed you know people's careers and i don't know that's it's 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 hard to say it's a subjective opinion like that but i do think that yes if it was a standalone it would be highly regarded but it's also 97 like you said 97 percent fresh yeah i think it is highly regarded i don't (laughs) i don't all the negativity i ever hear about this show comes from our feedback honestly like I don't, I don't think see that's it true. elsewhere. Like I like. I mean, Reddit of, has some of it, but like all all the professional critics I was reading had these same comments as well. Now maybe they're but they're all rating it like a minus and, and yeah, stuff like that. Which I, how much can you say? Oh, this this sucks that they're doing this, and then give it like the second highest rating it could possibly have. That's a good question. That's an interesting and thing about cried. human nature because like I feel like that we it's easy to do a show about the walking dead where consensus is it's a bad show mm-hmm. um, that didn't live up to things and you can just kind of rip it and you know, whatever. Uh, and it's easy to do shows where the fan base, if not all of pop culture loves it, like very mm-hmm. f- minority opinion that it's not good. It's very hard to do something like this where everyone says it's one of the best things on television, but everyone also says, I think it could be better. Yeah. No. Like that's like, you know, I, I, I guess it's like, like uh, critiques of Shaquille O'Neal's career. Like he was a dominant, unstoppable force, mm-hmm. but also it's hard to argue that if he if he practiced shooting free throws once in a while, he would have been like the best basketball player of all time. And can you fairly critique to him not living up to his own potential? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think so. But whatever. Does Shaq care? Does Does Vince <laughs> or Peter care? Uh, Vince thinks it's the best television show uh, and best season of all time. So there, there. That's his opinion. Uh, Dr. Nick, upon further reflection, you guys brought up a good point about the lameness of Hector Salamanca as the boss of the crime syndicate and the view uh, of ruining his legacy and the side effect it has on our views of Gus. 
with what we know now, whose organization would you rather be facing, Hector Salamanca or Tuco Salamanca? Oh, God. They're both incompetent in their own ways, right? Right. Right. Jeez. Uh, he says, I maintain Tuco, which is not something I would have ever guessed during the Breaking Bad era. Because Tuco has got a lot more get up and go, and he's not threatening to have a heart attack every time he, you know, fucking snorts meth. Wait, who would we rather be facing off against? Yeah, or? Hector or Tuco. Would you rather Hector yeah, out of the wheelchair or Tuco? Probably Hector, because yeah. he could go at any moment. Like right. I, I might not have to intervene. He's got and some take we- him out. He's he got might some just weaknesses. go. Um, we're now left to trying to figure out how Hector even got to the heights he has risen to. Was it pure mm-hmm. nepotism? Was it his dad, the effective leader, and Hector just inherited the leadership of his family? Yeah. Have we seen any characteristics from Hector that would have let him rise by merit to become an important criminal gangster? It's Salamanca. I mean, Salamanca, man. It, I think it's not Hector. He doesn't say I built this. He said Salamanca built this. There's no way Hector built this empire. No, I think he is the sonny to his old man's uh, veto. Yeah, and that's that scene. Like I don't, I don't know that. I just assume it's true because mm-hmm. there, it's true that he a lot of these ruthless characteristics would allow you to rise very high in a criminal organization, rarely to the tippy top. Sure. It can yeah. allow you to be the Luca Brasi of an organization, but it's not going to allow you to be the, the godfather. Because there's always going to be someone who's both ruthless and smart. Yes. And Hector is not Who that. can control his emotions and know the be- what's what's yeah. – because it's, it's a Gus. blend of business and personal in criminal mm-hmm. organizations. Like you got to keep this strictly business stuff as much as you can and, and less – you know, and whenever you let things get personal, that's when shit, bad shit happens. Right. And Hector does that every day. Hector does it like that's that's where he he gets out of bed thinking that uh, it was personal. Yeah, you know, like I should have got up on the right and I got up on the <laughs> left because of the fucking the bed. Chilean sea bass. <laughs> he meant to he meant me to go left the whole time. I yeah, I, he's he's crazy crazy gay guy. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, Jordan S. I was wondering what your thoughts are and how hard to watch the final couple episodes of the third season were. They weren't quite at the Schindler's List level of difficulty, but I'd put them in the category of Requiem for a Dream difficult Ooh, to watch. no. I, I can't agree with that. Requiem yeah. hurt me on a, a fundamental level. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I see where you're going with it. And, yeah, they were super difficult. Watching those old ladies be conned, be manipulated by Jimmy sucked. I hated it. And, like, you know, again, watching a crazy guy burn himself to death in his, his yeah. house was not – was not fun to watch either, especially when no. you just heard him articulate his hopes for his future, where he had a house full of music and friends and business associates, and mm-hmm. he had just completely burned all those bridges, and then he he committed suicide. So um, let's see. The only point I disagree with you and would like to elaborate on is the why you think Don Hector is a clown. I just saw an old gangster not willing to give in to any of the new school bullshit do you really see an old school cartel guy bowing down to some hoity-toity businessman who's not even from Mexico? He'd be all over that hashtag fuck Gus train. He felt disrespected, and his response seems reasonable for an old cartel guy. Maybe I'd agree with you if he's 30-ish and new to the game. I think he's a clown because he's not even listening to what the boss says. Yes. And, you know, it's one thing to be prideful and and, you know, revel in kind of the things that you've done and where you are, but to be so prideful that you will spite the person who has the true power here uh, by not 
flat packing your money instead just rubber banding it like you've always done and that's the thing like, he just flaunts yeah like that's... what he views as his power in front of everyone including people with more yeah and and that's the thing there is a blueprint for smart criminals to take down the super boss yeah Gus showed us that to a T. He yep. he feigns loyalty, gets them into a false sense of complacency, and then betrays them before they, and they realize it, and, and takes out their strength slowly but surely until he's amassed more. Like we, I mean, we we've seen that in tons and tons of different gangster movies. That's the blueprint. Any mm-hmm. any way to where you tell someone you just you just get ballsy with them when you've got nothing to stand on, you bluster and threat. Yeah. We're supposed to think of that as stupid. Yeah, playing this game from a position of weakness is a fool's game, and now, that's the one Hector's playing. I guess there's a way to see this as like, well, maybe the Salamanca gang did have all the guns and the muscle and the territory, and Don Eladio was the delusional one. Mm-hmm. I guess, maybe, because I don't think Don Eladio seems like he's that great of a gang, like, like, like a ruling gangster either. I mean, honestly, it seems like the whole fucking Mexican cartel was ripe for the pluck, plucking. Yeah. Because none of them, none of them except for maybe Juan Bolsa, had a brain to share between them. Like you, mm-hmm. you look at Tuco, you look at Hector, you look at Cus, you look at Don Eladio, who always seemed like a little bit of a dandy. He's not like super, you know. He's just living it up. It he's seems. yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he's out of touch with his operation. He should have probably gone to some non extradition treaty country and lived that and like passed it on to somebody else, like maybe a Don Walsa or but yeah, yeah. Don Balsa. Um, but yeah, that's 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 just I think. That's all my history of watching gangster movies. Um, okay, Kevin H. Let's see. There's only got two more, so I guess I'll, even though this is a longer one, I'll, 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 we'll read it. All caps. Chuck is definitely dead. He definitely killed himself, and absolutely no one thinks it was murder. He, I agree. Uh, he hit the caps lock and and then goes into regular letters. While Peter Gould has noted that BCS uses si- flashbacks and didn't rule out the possibility of Chuck coming back in that fashion, it makes it the most dramatic sense for Chuck to have successfully committed suicide mm-hmm. and to be ruled as such. Uh, and I think the more pressing issue is how Kimmy, Jim, or Jesus, Jimmy, Kim, and Howard move forward from this event. Yep. Howard, this is the interesting one. There's no possibility to expend this. A founding partner of HH and M started acting erratically, refused to retire when there's no signs of improvement, then killed himself after being forced out by the firm via buyout. And he didn't just kill himself. He deliberately burned down his house after he tore it apart. Howard may not have to actually pay for Chuck's buyout if there's no estate, but even if he changes the name to the firm to Hamlin Hamlin Associates, there's no escaping what happened. Howard's career as a lawyer may be over. He's going he's gonna to change the name to, to Hammy. Big hammy. H H. Yeah. H squared. Hot ham. Hot ham. And cheese. <laughs> uh, Kim will leave Jimmy. The setup is in two parts. First in season three, episode seven, when Kim tells Paige and Mesa Verda that she and Jimmy, all they had done is tear down a sick man. The second is in the finale where Kim expresses her anguish at the possibility of someone dying as a result of her actions. Kim will definitely see her actions defending Jimmy at the bar hearing as pushing Charles McGill towards suicide and will be filled with more... Revulsion at the thought of exhausting herself and placing others in mortal danger because she was enabling Jimmy to do further damage. Yeah. That's a hot take. That connects the dots pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just the thought of someone dying. Well, here is like you don't have to draw very many lines to connect her actions with this person's death, who mm-hmm. she already feels comp- you know, complicit of. That's, that's pretty strong. Um, and then he's got a pretty standard take about Jimmy. Um, so we can skip that. Uh Matt from Philly, this is our last feedback. As far as the future of the show, I would love two more seasons, but would be fine with just one more 
of 12 or more episodes. I would like if Kim and Nacho don't die, as obviously predicted across the web. Maybe Kim has to break off from Jimmy when she realizes what a liability he is, and this spins him fully his dark criminal world. Maybe Nacho gets to lurk in the shadows before escaping the cartel. The one thing the show really needs to make the remaining episodes worthwhile for me is the redemption of Gene. My favorite scenario would be a future successful Kim wandering into the Cinnabon in a chance visit to Omaha. To see what Jimmy would say to her after this trip to the dark side would be pretty interesting. Huh. So essentially, Kim is a wandering lawyer, have gun, will travel. She goes to Omaha. She uh, has run out of Doritos and cheese to dip, and she still wants to engage in some binge eating. She goes to Cinnabon, mm-hmm. and she's confronted with Gene. Which yeah, might, that would that would be interesting. Would she even recognize him with that mustache? I was about to say because he's he doesn't have the hairpiece anymore. It's true. Uh, mm. He's a he's a shell of the former man he was. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I I I like uh, I like the idea of Kim meeting up with Jimmy in the end because the, the maybe the, she's a frosting salesperson. Really, she's a pharmaceutical frosting rep. Yeah, yeah, she's coming in to update their frosting uh, capabilities with the, with the new opioid mix. They got new tips for their machines, even, even more addictive, right? Because <laughs> uh, here's the thing, Jim. Kimmy and Jim, Kim and Jimmy <laughs> at the end being together would be a very economical way to say that Gene is going to be okay. Okay. Like whatever Gene has to go through to get to that point, if at the end he ends up with Kim, then that, that, that tells us certain things about his, his final state and the redemption of his character. And if the fact, and of course, like I said, it depends on what they do with Kim's character. Like if Kim, like the, like the previous emailer, like <laughs> if she turns into Wendy, then <laughs> I don't think that's a happy ending at all. No, 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 no. But, like, you know, if she's, like, you know, uses this as, like, you know, like, look, ever since I've, ever since I started shacking up with you, my life has turned to shit. Mm-hmm. And I've become things I don't want to become. And, like, I thought it was going to be fun and interesting. And it's not. It's just, it's just tragic and depressing. And she shoots herself clear of him. If, if in the arc that they get back together, I mean, that, that would be interesting. Now, if she, has the opposite reaction where it's like well shit jimmy's approach is just as valid as mine you know when jimmy's when jimmy's working under his darker impulses he would have been a rich more successful person and here i am bang you know you know trying to nose the grindstone it's all futile like i don't know maybe them getting together i don't like did they do the the victor and victoria thing or whatever esmeralda or whatever the hell her her scam name is oh yeah yeah is that gazelda yeah uh-huh, something Giselle. like that. Giselle, yeah. Victor and Giselle. Like, if they, like, maybe they uh, re- reunite over there. But the thing is, is, like, she, she if she finds him, it's got to be an accident because he's in hiding. Right. Or he comes out of hiding to find her. Okay. Yeah. Like, him showing up, I, I know what would it be like if he shows up on a doorstep and he knocks and the door opens and it fades to black. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can see them doing something like that, too. But that's yeah, the problem. Maybe. There's very few things I can't see them doing. <laughs> sure. Because there there just there really is no plan here. I can't state that enough. Like there is yep. no there is no plan except for they know he's in Nebraska at the end of it. So hmm. uh we'll have to see what comes next season. Are are you interested what do you think that they'll like this so this season it seems like they did a lot with the Gus stuff, the tease, and maybe bring some of the old pe- the the people back into the fold. Mm-hmm. Which doesn't seem like it it bore much fruit because it didn't. It's not like they got a million people back watching it to get into Gus and 
So do you think that there will be, if there is a Ted Binicky or something in the future, do you think there'll be a tease of that? Will they give that away before the season? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Um, I I guess the people that I would see coming back, aside from maybe like Jesse, which I don't know how he would ever be involved. but Jesse's tough because Aaron Paul doesn't look at a thing. Like, like you know, Walter, if they have Walter White back on, Brian Cranston can be Walter White tomorrow. Sure, yeah. Uh, but I, I don't even know if, like, that's the problem. I think just narratively, how the heck do you work Jesse into this? Because he would actually be in his teens. Yeah, he's he's probably still in high school. Uh-huh. Like, I, I just don't see it. I, I don't so, think Aaron like, Paul can come back. So my, my point is, like, I don't think they'd have anybody big enough to really draw back in the Breaking Bad fans to say, hey, they're back. If what Gus about, Fring doesn't do it, come on. What about Hank? Hank? Because I, I think that there's I still think if who... Gus Fring doesn't do it, Hank's not going to do it. Huh. Like Dean Norris, I don't think is aged out of the Hank role. No, because Hank, Hank, kind of, you know, he could be forty-five to fifty-five. I believe Dean Norris could probably play a twenty-three-year-old Hank, and I would buy it. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that Hank has always looked exactly how Hank looks in Breaking Bad. Uh, so I guess they could bring Hank in, but I don't, I don't know how interesting that would be. Or go like like Steve and Michael uh, Pizzetta as yeah. Gomi. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, but but that's like. Gomi, that is that would be a, a nice thing for a fan to see, but I don't know that it would be like teaser worthy. Yeah, like Gus, that's that's big news. Yep. Gus, and like I guess a Tuco coming back, um, the neo Nazis, not, not, nothing else. Like it, I, if if they tease someone, it, it better be something like Brian Cranston, and I would suspect it would be the smallest of cameos, which mm-hmm. another reason why they probably shouldn't even tease it. Yeah. So, all right, well. Uh, all we know is they're picked up for another season, and we will be back presumably sometime next year to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see what the Villa gang has in store for us. Um, I hope that people don't think that I hated this season because all the criticisms I have are ways I think it could have been better, not things that I think were fatal missteps. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I still really enjoyed the show. Yeah, this and, and and I also am very invested to see what they – what they end up doing with it mm-hmm. and you know, where they end up leaving Jimmy slash Saul slash slash Gene. So we'll see, we'll see you next year. Um, uh, until then, uh, we've got a lot of stuff going on, uh, on, on, uh, uh, baldmove.com. We're about to spin up our game of Thrones, uh, uh, coverage, which if you're a little star for action, uh, you will probably get plenty of it because it's in the throes of its, uh, two season climax, uh, later on this year, we'll probably have Mr. Robot. We've got Stranger Things look, to look forward to. Uh, of course, we have The Walking Dead. Uh, Halt and Catch Fire. Coming Halt back and Catch in Fire is coming back, too. For uh, all 40 of you who listened to that. <laughs> I think, and also, uh, there, I feel like there's really good hope that Westworld's going to come back sooner rather than later in 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully, we don't have to wait that long to see you again. But we got lots of stuff, and always we got movie coverage. We've got so much stuff going on at Bald Move. Uh, dot com. This doesn't have to be your end of your journey with us if you don't want it to be. Check it out at baldmove.com. But until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya when we see ya.